I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to Lore Watch, a roundtable freeform discussion about lore in the games of Blizzard Entertainment. I'm your host, Joe Perez, one of several lore-focused people from Blizzard Watch, and I've got my amazing co-host with me today, Matt Rossi. How are you doing today, Matt? In terms of, you know, uh, I was trying to figure lore. out my, my volume control, apparently. <laughs> so, I was like, oh, oh, muted myself, okay. Nope, that's not what I meant to do. I'm supposed to be talking now. Now, speaking of volume, we did get some uh, comments about my volume being low and being off, so hopefully we've made some adjustments. Uh, let us know how it sounds to you, because it always sounds fine on my end, but I want to make sure that after compression and everything, it sounds good for you, so let us know. Uh, we're going to be answering more of your questions today, like we usually do, so thank you for sending those in. And as always, if you have them, you can send them in at podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Uh, you can also hit us up on our Discord server. We have two separate channels for it. We have the patron and supporter Q questions, where you can literally, if you're a patron, one of our patrons, you can put your, your message in there. We tend to look at those first before anywhere else. Uh, and then there's also a general Q questions that you can throw in there that we do also look for uh, our questions for the podcast. And also, uh, I, we have been receiving and making note of the thematic episodes that you have submitted. Keep those coming in. When we're low on our questions or questions are a little bit lull, like in a lull, we will be using those. So thank you very much for sending us what you want to have an entire show about. But without further ado, we are going to start this off with a question from Merlin Frostmage, who is definitely hashtag for the Alliance. Greetings, watchers. Question for Lorewatch. Can we talk about where all the moms are in World of Warcraft? We have fathers, widowers, and orphans. Now we even have secret fathers, not like Bolvar, but very few mothers, despite everyone having one. Catherine Proudmore is obvious and very welcome example. Alaria and Varesa have kids, I suppose. I'm sure I'm forgetting other prominent mothers, so maybe you can each tell us about your favorite Warcraft mom and talk about how you'd like to see Blizzard balance this out more in the future. Thanks. 
uh, I mean, there's been some key mothers, right? Like we've had, uh, why can't I think of her name now? Egg, we've had Egwin. Yeah, we've had Egwin. We've had uh, Draka. Uh, and we've had, and why can't I think of Thrall's Rife? Agra. Agra. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we have some, but I agree with you. Definitely not enough. What do, what do you think, Matt? What do you, of the what, ones Toronto that we doesn't get any credit here? I'm sorry, Toronto's who? been a mom for 10,000 years. Well, yeah, no, she technically is, yes. Not technical. Adopted parents are still parents. Don't make I, me do this. No. <laughs> Don't turn me into Captain Surly this early. No, no, no. you know what I meant. You know what I meant. No, Taronda counts. Uh, absolutely, she does. Um, I mean, you know, still, your point is valid. Uh, I forgot the person who wrote the email. I'm sorry. Uh, but what, what's her name again? Ma- Marilyn. Marilyn. I'm sorry, uh, Marilyn. Your point is valid. Uh, I'm not disputing it. There are a few others. I mean, I don't think Illyria counts as, you know, I guess. I definitely think Illyria, you know, both Illyria is. and Clarissa yeah. are mothers. Um, that That's that's true enough. And, I mean, obviously there's Gen Greymane's wife is still around, Mia. Uh, she's she's actually was even in the, the, the lead up to Battle for Azeroth. Uh, she was in uh, Darnassus when it got set on fire. So we almost got to see her die again, you know, again, almost twice now. She's 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 made a habit out of escaping scrapes. It's a heck of a marriage you got there, Mia. Um, but there certainly could be more. Um, I, it's kind of hard to say, like, you know, list your favorite because they haven't really made this as central a part of any character's lives the way they made Varian and Anduin mm-hmm. a real central thing. Uh Thrall, for that matter, though, Thrall's kids are barely ever mentioned. Yeah, and we never—I don't think we've seen them yet either. Like even in the no. even in the short where we we go find him with uh, Sarfang, they're not there. Yeah, we very rarely see or hear anything about Thrall's kids. Um, Jane has five children. We never hear anything about. I'm making that up. That was a joke. <laughs> um, but th- there's there's a tendency in World of Warcraft that. It kind of follows soap opera rules to some extent, in that kid exists, then you never see it again, and then suddenly it pops up again. I mean, there's Moira Bronzebeard. She's a, a good example of someone that they've worked her being a parent into her appearances, and her child has shown up from time to time, so we know that Dagrin Thorison exists. Um, and we've even had him be in a short, and we've had mention of him, even had mention of Magni spending time with the kid. So you know that she has a child, you know that the child exists, and she's still an important character, and not just for having a kid, which, you know, is also a problem when, with, with female characters in, in fiction. Sometimes the second they have a kid, they're, they're kind of retired to mom yeah. them. Like Agra. Yeah, we haven't seen a lot of Agra, um, and that's been a problem. I mean... I, there's a spoiler for the next expansion coming up that a certain character that Joe mentioned is coming back. We will see that character in Shadowlands. I'm not going to say which one, but that that has happened. Um, it is definitely something I think that World of Warcraft could use more of. Uh, I would love to have seen more of um, you know, the fact that Varian's wife got introduced pre-deceased you know what I mean that's that's one of the things that always really bothers me with some characters when like 
you've got Anduin's mother, who is Varian's wife, uh, Tiffin Wren, who is introduced to us after she dies. Yeah. Like, she's dead when you meet her. Like, she's already died. Like, the, oh, and, you know, my wife died, you know, and was killed by, you know, this, this uprising sort of thing. That's not great. So, yeah, I, I definitely think World of Warcraft could do better on that front. Of the ones I've listed, I think Moira is my favorite. Yeah. Just because, as I've said, she's made it... It is a part of her character arc and story. It does not define her entirely, and it is something that is ongoing and continuous to her character. Um, she's done good things and bad things around it. Like, her actions in the beginning of the, the Shattering novel... She basically imposed martial law on Ironforge. She became a dictator. There's no disputing this. At the same time, she was doing it around the rejection she felt and to ensure her son's inheritance. There's a there's a, an interesting concept. Moira is one of those characters who doesn't do everything right. She's not perfect. She's obviously a caring mother, but she's not portrayed as perfect. And her rough edges are still there. She's still manipulative. She's still politically active. She's still kind of Machiavellian. And I like that. I like that she's given rough edges. I like that she's not made... Motherhood has not gentled her. It has not made her less of a character. If anything, it's made her a little more, I think, ruthless or shrewd as far as securing her son's future, right? Like when we... Certainly, yeah. And not in a bad way. Yeah, and I would say not not in a bad way either. Like it's every time we've seen her depicted so far, like she she does have that the capability of being sort of soft, and we see that in the comic where she's talking with her dad a little bit. Um, but for the most part, having the having a child has hardened her resolve, not just to secure her own future and the future of the dwarves, but make sure that there is something for her son to take over and something for her son to build upon, which I think is really cool. I think it's a really nice touch. Um, me personally, I always wanted Agra to have more time. Because while she was important for a little while, she is absolutely one that the minute she started, she was like pregnant with Thrall's kids, gone, disappeared. Like we don't see her anymore. And that is infuriating to me because she was an exceptionally powerful shaman of the Earth and Ring. I mean, she's one of those characters that, you know, functionally in game, she's a trainer, but she trains your character on how to be better at being a shaman. And at that point, like, she's gone. Why? Like, just to raise kids? Thrall came back. I, I also thought that it would have been nice for Thrall to say, my time's done, and Agra to come back as sort of that sort of mentorship, or, or or something to do with that, because she is the one that made him less bad, I guess would be the, the only way I could really phrase it. Like, he was... She just seems like she was used for those specific purposes, and then gone. And that bothers me a little bit. And then we have Draka, who, I mean, when have we heard anything aside from, well, Draka, Draka existed, Draka's dead, or Draka's on other Draenor, and, and that's it. And she was one of those characters where I just got done leveling through this experience. She's insanely cool. Her, her as a tactician, as a uh, protector of her people, as a powerful warrior, is insane. 
and nothing. Like, we just were at a point where we don't get anything more from her. It became literally about Duraton after that, and Draka sort of just, like, fell into the background throughout the entirety of Warlords of Draenor, and then, again, nothing more now of her legacy or, or anything else. So I think Marilene has a really good point. I think that the mothers of Warcraft should have more time in the sun. I really hope that going into the future, we have more of that. And maybe some of these characters that have been relegated to uh, sort of retirement after whatever their main purpose was, uh, maybe we can revisit that and maybe that could be undone. All right. Our next question is a long one, and it comes from uh, Mink, a warlock of Lightbringer. Uh, and I think Rossi's going to have some good opinions about this one. Uh, it starts with, we have all misjudged Sylvanas. Hear me out. While rewatching the Shadowlands trailer yet again, I was really struck profoundly by her last line. This whole world is a prison and I will set us all free. If we rewind our memory and truly look at things from her perspective, perhaps we don't see a mustache twirler, but someone who is trying to be a savior, though, granted, misguided and not aligned with the view of the living. Consider her view that the world of the living is truly without hope, and, like she said, a prison. People here, the living, and even her own people, fade away. No hope. And then consider she has a plan, to take everyone to a place where the rules are different, their life forces are unending. Enter whatever is going on with the Jailer and the Maw, because she has plans to transform the Maw, question mark. Regardless, just consider she has plans that are more than just transforming people into anima batteries, and she truly believes that, that sending everyone over and breaking the machine is for the greater good as she sees it. In her view, she would have been doing those in Teldrassil a favor by sending them on, out of this world with no hope. In her view, sending as many souls as possible on the on is the right thing to do. In her view, the Horde Alliance and the entire conflict is nothing, because it's all in the prison of the living, and none of what happens here means anything. She wouldn't need a redemption arc because she's already redeemed. Food for thought. I'm just going to sit back oh, and let Matt go. It's, it's total sophistry. It's the kind of justification people have used for atrocities in real life in time memorial, and I can reject it with a very simple thing. It's Anakin Skywalker saying, in my view, the Jedi are evil. No. It's just pedantry. Even if everything she believes is true, she creates suffering when it is not needed. If we are trapped here and the next place is where everything matters, we get there anyway. Nothing she did was necessary. Nothing she did helped anyone. All she did was rush them along, cut their lives short, ended any existence they might have had, and indirectly had an effect on the, the outcome of their lives. No. It's not valid. Now, does she believe all that stuff? Quite possibly. Evil people aren't not people. This is the concept that I think people have a real trouble with. People can do things, horrific things, and they, they honestly believe they're doing them for the right reason. You see this every day. 
in the real world that we live in. You see it in fiction because fiction is our attempt to grapple with the real world that we live in. We write stories, we tell stories, we experience stories to try and contextualize our, our experiences. The lives we live, the things we see while we live, we try to make sense of them. And that's one of the things that is hardest for people to, to, to wrap our heads around. The fact that someone can do something monstrous and really believe that they had to do it, that they had a good reason for doing it. And sometimes those justifications sound very convincing to us, and we don't know what to do with it. Does Sylvanas as a character think all the stuff you said? I don't know, because they haven't revealed all of it, but they've definitely revealed that she feels that life is not... It's not, you know, it's a cage, it's a prison. That they've definitely revealed that. Does Sylvanas feel that way? Probably, absolutely. It doesn't matter what you believe about how how real or valid someone else's life is, you don't have the right to take it from them. Even if you think it's necessary. Like, sometimes people kill other people for a whole variety of different reasons. I'm not going to go into the morality of that situation. I mean, it's a video game where we play people who kill things all the time. I mean, come on. Right. But Sylvanas can be an evil character, a, a character who is doing evil things, and those things are still evil, even if she really thinks they're necessary. And it, it, it's the difference between her having an opinion and a worldview and not just being a cartoon doesn't make her right. It doesn't mean she's actually doing the right thing. It just means she really believes it. Monsters throughout history have really believed they were doing the right thing. Many of them really believed all those people they were torturing and killing would be saved and sent to a, a paradise that they would otherwise be denied forever. That's happened multiple times in human history. That doesn't mean they were right to do those atrocities. And it doesn't mean Sylvanas is right to do the things she's doing. It just means that she's not a cartoon. That she has lived the life and the undeath that she has. She's had experiences. She's taken those experiences to mean the things that she has taken them to mean. And she acts accordingly. She's an extremely well-realized character. But there's a difference between being extremely well-realized and being right. And, and as right now, we do not know how Sylvanas is going to be portrayed in the end. We do not know how this is all going to shake out. But we do know that she's done things that it does not matter what her rationale for them was. And that's the thing I think really you have to look at in any situation. Not, not what the character believes, but what they've done. The, what they believe is important, but I, I don't think you can just divorce the effects from, you know, oh, well, it's all going to work out because she's got a plan. Um, in the end of the day, all those thousands of people who died screaming and, and fire and were, like, put to sleep by their own god to to prevent them from suffering any further, those people didn't have to suffer. That, that to me, is important. Um, so I don't, I don't accept that she doesn't need a redemption arc because she's already been redeemed. I do accept that she absolutely could believe every word of what you just wrote. That could absolutely be her rationale and her plan. She may believe that life is without value because there's another life you go to and she knows it exists 
and she knows it's you know it's one where you don't die and thus we might as well get this life over with that certainly is something she could think and it would make sense but I don't believe that excuses her actions a lot of people have believed that kind of thing throughout history and it doesn't make the horrible things they did any better and on another side of that coin objectively some of this stuff is and I'm not trying to, to, to discount your your opinion here but it's patently wrong as far as anima goes we know that anima is used it's not eternal it gets used for something else sometimes that means getting converted into something that goes back to the material plane sure but anima is used our life force is used it is not preserved eternally if it was preserved eternally there wouldn't be an anima drought there wouldn't be half of the problems that exist in shadowlands to begin with and the need for souls to be saved from the maw in general so that idea that she's trying that she she understands that what's on the other side is eternal life is wrong if she knows what is actually going on or what anima is or has any inkling of it which i would posit that she does because we can go back to the the short story i think it was what the dark mirror black mirror or something like that uh, i can't remember the name of it, the one with the nathanos she's burning the life force of one of nathanos's family members to preserve him She's using that life force. She's using that anima to accomplish that goal. I can't help but think she understands what anima is. But I think she's making a deal in her brain where she will consume other people to preserve herself and who she deems worthy. And I think that anytime she's saying something about this being a prison, I don't think she's talking about the rest of us. I honestly feel that this is her projecting her own thought, her own feelings, her own fears, and being mainly concerned with only herself and wrapping it up in this guise of, I'm going to save the entire world. I think she's justifying it to herself however she can. Because ever since she was a ranger general, ever since she was living, everything was about control. And then from the moment she died and Arthas ripped her soul out and turned her into a banshee, she hasn't been in control. She hasn't been in control the entire time, even when she was leading the Forsaken. We look at the, the book. We look at everything that happens uh, in Before the Storm. She's losing control, this control that she has convinced herself she's had, even when we can go back to Wrath of the Lich King. If we if we take it on uh, face value that she didn't know that there was a plague being done or that it was Varimothris that was, was running the, in the background doing that and doing it without her knowledge, that's an admittance that she didn't have control. All of this is about her lack of control. So yeah, she's justifying everything she's doing, every atrocity she has committed but it's all for her to be back in control of her own life. That's the prison I think she keeps talking about. That's what I think she keeps thinking the world of the living is for her. It's this prison where she has no control and hasn't since the Third War. Now, everything else in her view, 
Maybe she thinks she did tell Drossel a favor. Sure, maybe. Or maybe she just justified it by saying all those souls are people that rejected me anyway. I would never be accepted into the life of those elves. So the heck with it. Their life force, their anima, I'll feed it to the guy that I made the deal with so that I can have my my time in the sun. So I can break my own shackles. You know, the Horde and Alliance conflict, same thing. It served her means. It served her ends the entire time. If death is supposed to be this thing where she is feeding souls to the maw, she's in control of that. It's not that it doesn't matter. It's not that the conflict is nothing. The conflict is a tool for her. She doesn't care about the outcome, and they flat out said as much. When we're talking about uh, our conversations with Wamsamdi, when we're talking about unraveling everything with Sarfang that leads up to that final moment of her having her essentially psychotic break in front of the entirety of the Horde, she wanted death and destruction that's what we know she wanted those souls to die and be pulled out she wanted those souls to go to the mall it wasn't because the conflict was nothing the conflict was something the conflict was a tool for her so i i don't think we can justify her actions with some altruistic uh silver lining that doesn't exist we have to accept that this isn't mustache twirling because it's not it's beyond that it's her being a horrible monster to try to save herself not everybody else because even at the end even in those last moments that we see her with nathanos i truly believe that beyond her sisters nathanos is the only creature she cares about no one else we don't matter to her we are not her people so, I'm sorry, and I, this is me saying I love Sylvanas as a character. I think that she, and, and like Matt said many, many times, don't take these criticisms as we hate her. She's a great character. She's, a, she's great in her role. That doesn't mean I have to like her. That doesn't mean I have to support her. And that doesn't mean I have to justify or, or write away the atrocities that she's committed in, in the game story. And there's a ton of them. Anything else you'd want to add to that one, Matt? I mean, there's some there's some like little minor things. Like I do think that she, her statement when she says, you know, I did actually want to help them when she's talking about the Forsaken, I think she meant that. I just don't think it wasn't as important to her as other things. I think there's with Sylvanas, there's always that pull between who she used to be and who she is now. And that's what makes her an interesting character. Yeah, absolutely. But I think it's it's just a case where people want very badly to think that characters they identify with or admire are always going to be good people. And unfortunately, people are complicated and messy, and they they carry with them the experiences of their lives and and the mistakes. Yeah, and with Sylvanas in particular, this is a character who is extremely strong. Like it, that the strength of the character is is in that depth of experience, but that doesn't make what they're doing now a good thing. And there's no real way to justify it, saying, "Oh, it's for the greater good." It's even so, she hasn't presented it as the greater good. Yeah, I mean, look at look at some of the big conflicts we've had recently uh, that were for the greater good. Look at look at Malagos. Look at 
that whole thing with taking the ley lines and pulling them up uh, to Northrend and taking magic away from the world. It was for the I mean, greater good. It, it might have worked. It might have kept the Legion from coming back. We don't know, but it certainly might have also killed the, the Titan living inside the planet. Uh, that, that ley line energy is supposed to go to the world soul. Mm-hmm. You know, he might have ended up killing it. And he wouldn't have known that that's what was going to happen. Uh, he wasn't, Nobody was entirely clear on what was going on there. So, yeah, there's a lot to these characters. And I don't think it's as simple as, as you said, it doesn't make him a mustache twirling villain. You don't want that. But that doesn't, you don't want your villains to, you know, you can sympathize with someone and still recognize that what they're doing is wrong. And that's what I think we've got with Sylvanas. What she's doing is wrong. You can say that and still sympathize with her and still empathize with her. Absolutely. Like, and that's the thing to keep in mind, right? Like, uh, her being complicated and messy and maybe not, not necessarily great or good, you can still uh, feel for that character. Nothing says that you, you aren't supposed to. It's not wrong to identify or, or feel something in their plight, right? But at the someday end of the we'll day... Talk, someday we'll talk about Julian May novels... And I'll explain my love for Mark Remillard, who is an utter bastard. <laughs> Just if you read these books, read the you know the Saga of Leicestian Exile, read the Galactic Milieu trilogy, the guy is a bastard. He is a terrible, terrible person. He does horrible things, and they can't be excused. But at the same time, this is a character who, at the end of everything, at the end of the of the stories he appears in strides out of a suit of armor having kicked the butts of literally everybody in his way people who were as or more powerful than him and he says as you can see I've won you knew I would and it's just glorious he's awful but he's compelling and that I think is what we've got with Sylvanas Windrunner she's compelling and I, I don't like I'm, I've been thrilled to see her development over the past few years. At the same time that I've been, you know, some of the stuff she's done has absolutely horrified me. But it's good to see a character get an arc where she gets to be that character that she's always been. If you go back over the entire history of World of Warcraft, Sylvanas was doing horrible things to people from the beginning. Mm-hmm. She had people in cages in Undercity, and she was like, in you know, this isn't like original. Go, go, your world, go, fire up WoW Classic right now, and go to Undercity, and you can see these people in cages being experimented on. You know, you, I remember a quest I did as a Tauren way back where they send you to, I think it's Ashara, isn't it? It is. Where there's like pools to collect. You collect this this toxin that you found in pools. And you're, you're doing it because there's that they have a, a sick Tauren in Undercity. And they're like, yeah, we, so go get this stuff so I can figure out what's killing this Torrent. You get back, and he kills her with it. He doesn't cure her. He kills her with it. Mm-hmm. And you're like, what the F? That, and that's never not been part of this. And that's the thing. you know. This is the, this is the culture Sylvanas created. This is the, the way she was always going. And that's interesting. It's it's. It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, for the greater good at the end of the day to be an interesting story beat, in my opinion. Agreed. And I think that's what we need to, to keep in mind whenever we talk or deal with Sylvanas. 
Our next set of questions, and there are three of them here, comes from our friend Vertigree uh, over on, uh, well, he's got a bunch of characters. <laughs> so, Verd, first question. Uh, first, congrats on making or on making to the Hall of the Guardian, Joe. Uh, thank you. I, for those that are, are catching up on that one, uh, I have actually been leveling a mage, and successfully I am at 105 right now. So I'm, I'm, I'm getting along quite well and actually having a decent time. For all those mages out there, I take back what I said. I was actually able to get pretty far. All right. First question. While retrieving Holy Paladin Weapon Tear's hand, I saw something that made me worried about Alduar. In Dragonblight, chasing a paladin with a key to Tear's tomb, you meet and fight Jotun, Tear's old friend who killed your fellow paladin. He was crushed by Loken with madness and immortality. Uh, beating him temporarily frees him, and he gives you the Titan key you were after, and warns you to leave him. This suggests the same happened in Alduar after we left. Uh, I guess we'll start with that one and we'll just do them individually. What do you think about that? No, it's not the case. Jotun is called the Curse Bringer, Curse Bearer. He's been cursed specifically. Loki, Loken did not curse everybody else. Loken specifically cursed Jotun. So now, the, the stuff that's going on in Alduar right now is potentially very bad, but it's not related to Logan having done anything to them. Uh, they were being controlled by Yogg-Saren directly, much the way L Logan was. He brought them to him, and then they were affected by Yogg's madness. It's not the same. He didn't curse them. That's why Jotun is specific. That's why he is the curse-bearer. He is the one that Logan cursed. Logan didn't even curse Tyr, and Tyr stole something from him and ran away. Well, the, the dude only cursed Jotun because he couldn't get to Tyr or the others at the time. That's why he had to basically attack them one by one and drag them out of there. You know, if you if you do the, the quests in Stormheim, it's, it's not Stormheim, it's the Storm Peaks. God, we have too many Storm places. Um, <laughs> when you do the quests in the Storm Peaks, you even, like, you go to the various places, the temples that used to be where the uh, various keepers hung out, you, you even find out Loken had to attack them one by one and, and drag them in. No, he, he couldn't do that all the time. That was a very directed thing. That was a response to just how furiously angry he was at Tyr and that he couldn't get to him. That's why he had to send not one but two Chithraxi after him, uh, which was a pretty significant investment of power on Yogg-Saron's part, you know, because Chithraxi are ridiculously strong. Sending two after Tyr, that was a, that's a sign of just how angry uh, Loken was and how angry Yogg was. Uh, look at it this way: when we were, when you're doing the quests in Zandalar, specifically around the the blood trolls and unlocking the various locks on on, I want to say I can't remember the name of that dungeon. Oldham. Oldham. Oldham, yeah. When you're, are we sure it's Oldham? Mm. Or is it Aldir? Aldir is the, the raid of the first year. Okay, so yeah, it's Aldir. Um, when you're doing that and you, you see they've got one Shathraxi, just one Shathraxi, unlocking all that stuff. There's one Shathraxi involved in all those quests, but Loken sent two of them. For comparisons, when you do Dragon Soul, there's two Shathraxi in total. That's the sum total of Shathraxi that, that Nazoth has on his disposal to attack during the Dragon Soul raid, which was his big move. It's the Hour of Twilight. He sends two Shithraxi. 
So Loken sent as many Chithraxi after Tyr as as, as Nazoth sent during the Hour of Twilight. There's a significant power outline here that that I it's always made me very suspicious of exactly what's going on with the whole um, discs of Nurganon, and we're still not sure if those discs of Nurganon were corrupted ones, which we've had said in the past they were, then they weren't. Then why did he have to send so much force after them? And keep in mind that one of the two Chithraxi Kithix that that was sent after Tyr actually caused the Trollakir War. It was Kithix who started that whole fight. The entire Troll-Akir War was because Kithix woke up and started waking up other things. So it wasn't even an old god, it was Kithix. That's how powerful Chithraxi are. They can start continent-spanning wars. They're ridiculously strong. The, the thing that's got a big sword in its head in Darkshore, at the Master's Glaive, that's a, that's a Chithraxi. That's not an old god. It's just a Chithraxi. They're, they're, in terms of power, they're nearly as terrifying as the beings they serve. So no, I don't think Ulduar has that problem. It has a very different problem in that I think having been the seat of Yogg-Saron for so long, I think it's really messed up. And I don't think people can, you know, they, they're still there. And I don't think that's a good idea. But I don't think it's because of that curse. There's no specific curse on any of the other keepers. Yeah, and I tend to agree. I don't think I don't think that it has anything to do with the curse. Uh, I think Alduar, and I've been saying this since we finished the Nihilatha raid. I think that entire setup is, is going to lead to some interesting story or something that's happening in Alduar that revolves around mainly Yog Saron in the aftermath of that, because we've already seen that. Alduar itself has been touched by the nightmare, has had a bunch of tentacles and, and, and sort of old god influence pushing back up into it ever since we quote-unquote freed it from Yogg-Saron's influence. And when Mother is going through and linking all of the Titan facilities together, straight up, Alduar is cut off from that. And now we have Odin, who was going to be going to Alduar to go play a visit, which was supposedly before all that happened. We don't know what's going on up there. We have no idea. We haven't been back up there. But I don't think it has anything to do with the curse that was on Jotun uh, from Loken. Uh, and at this point, I mean, Loken's can canonically dead at this point. I don't think there's anything else that he can do. So... I think when we get to Alduar, we're going to see a whole other type of mess, and I don't think it has anything at all to do with curses. One thing I'm going to say before we move on. It's worth remembering, too. Not only is Logan dead, but Yogg-Saron wanted him dead. Yogg-Saron set that whole thing up. Yogg-Saron wanted Logan to be considered the prime designate. Everything he did to get rid of Odin was so that Loken could be prime designate so that Loken could eventually die. And why did he want Loken dead? Because he wanted Algalon to come down, see that the planet was all god corrupted, and reoriginate it. What would have happened then? The halls of origination would have activated. Mm -hmm. Loken dying was part of that. Yogg wanted that to happen. An old god wanted the Forge of Origination used. What did we do in Nihilatha? We used the Forge of Origination on an old god. 
Yep. We did exactly what the, we, they wanted to do, the thing that we had been trying to stop for however long. The thing long. is, we, they wanted us to do it. We didn't know why, and we still don't. Yep. So but we did it. <laughs> uh, good times. Good times. Uh, the second question for Verd's list here. Running Nighthold, I started thinking about Grand Magistrix Alessandra. She sort of dies three times. Ilganoth Whisper, question mark, uh, but also survives and helps fight us with Gul'dan. And I wonder what happened to her. Is she still in the Nightwell or like the Infinites or she transcended a mortality and went to the Arcane Titan realm? I, oh, she died. Yeah, she's, she's straight up died. She, she's dead. That wasn't her. The thing you see after that fight is a time echo she created in the event that somebody killed her and broke the prophecy that she had. She prophesied the end. Like When she had her prophecy, it was of her joining the Legion, the Legion successfully destroying Azeroth, you know, or, you know, I'm not entirely sure what they thought, you know, but she saw them succeeding and her people surviving as servants of the Legion. That's what she saw. And it meant that she saw herself doing those things. So when she died, that meant that we changed what she saw. So she had created a spell that would go off in the event that her prophecy was proved to be you know, not valid. It's exactly like what happened with Algalon, where Algalon said, you've defied ca- cosmically calculated odds. There was no way... Sorry about that belch, by the way, everybody. Um, <laughs> there was no way that we should have been able to do what we did. And that even happens again in the expansion. At the end, when you kill Argus, that's not possible. Mm-hmm. We are doing things that prophecies and odds calculation say can't happen. We are overcoming fate. That's what the whole thing about Illidan saying, you know, there's fate is not an issue. Don't worry about your destiny. Just act. That's like the whole message of Legion under the surface is that, yeah, people will tell you you can't do it. People will tell you it's impossible. If that's true, then you don't have anything to worry about anyway. You might as well just try. And that's what we happens there. No, Elisande is dead. Elisande died when we killed her. The thing you saw afterwards was just an echo. It was a magical thing that she created so that we'd have somebody telling us what was going on after. Because if, if we're going to, if we can, if we could save her people, she wanted them saved. Elisande wasn't a monster. No, Elisande, she wanted her people, her people to yeah. be survived, right? She, yeah, she wanted her people to live, and she saw only one way for it to happen. But when another opportunity presented itself and killed her, okay, if they can kill me, if they can break what I've seen, then they can break this whole thing. And here's, I, I've made a contingency so that they can, to, to help them achieve that end. Because now what I saw is gone. And there's a new possibility for the future. That's what's interesting about Elisande, because Elisande's a character who's very much doing what she's doing, thinking it will save my people. Going back to that very first email we had, it's like, that's Elisande there, but Elisande was aware, if someone can can do the impossible, if someone can save my people, I want to help them. She could, She had, she made allowances for her vision being wrong. She still acted on her vision being right because she was the most skilled 
manipulator of the Nightwell in history. She had 10,000 years of experience. And her scrying was second to none. Yeah. She had 10,000 years of experience with this powerful Titan artifact that, you know, the Eye of Amandul. She knew time magic like nobody. Even the, even the, you know, the dragon flights weren't her superiors. So she was really certain. I, I saw the future. I know what's going to happen. But just in case I'm wrong, here's a contingency. That's all that was. Elisand's dead. Yeah. Now, will, will we see her in Shadowlands? Possibly. I don't think she's part of the Nightwell. I don't think that she was consumed by it or put herself into it. Because like Matt just said, her contingency was, if I'm defeated, I do this, right? It was, if I'm not right, then this happens. And in order for her to be in that position, she has to die. Like, that that's sort of what a contingency plan is. Uh, otherwise, why not just become one with the Eye of Amonthul and do all sorts of unspeakable, terrible things? So I think that maybe she's not in the Titan slash Arcane realm unless there is another realm that we get to see later on that gives us a little more idea of the afterlife of the Arcane, essentially, uh, or what that sort of realm looks like. But she could also be existing in the Maw. She could be there somewhere. She could be in Shadowlands. And I think that if we see her again, that we're going to see her there. We're not going to see her in... Uh, the Titan realm or an arcane realm. Uh, But other than that, I I think Matt pretty much covered every point on that one, so I think we're going to move on to the third question here. Uh, Odin has been stealing souls from the Shadowlands for thousands of years or ordering others to do it, but we let him out on the uh, the word of the first person to ask us. Maybe he was killed by the Corrupted Keepers and Watchers of Alduar, and like the Titans before him, was pulled to the last surviving part of him, the eye, or something else like Maldraxxus caught him and made him a gladiator. What do you think? Um, not dead. He's not dead. Unless yeah, you're talking I mean, about like he was body switched or something, which I don't see you how. I mean, it maybe, but there's nothing in game to indicate that. Uh, as of right now, the last thing we saw in terms of Odin, we helped. We destroyed uh, Helia, Helia, which freed Odin from the curse she put on him, trapping him in the halls of valor. Now, keep in mind, he could get out of it to a certain degree. He could sneak his way out. He'd been doing so, but the curse bound him there. He was un- he was incapable of getting out for like most of the time, and he was incapable of releasing most of his valor. We broke that. But he says at the end of the Helia fight that he's going to consider making a visit back to Alduar. That's the last we hear of it. Um, he, his, his people participate in the uh, Broken Shore, like especially if you're a warrior. Oh, yeah. Uh, you see Valajar on the Broken Shore, so they take part in that whole thing. They don't really go to Argus that I'm aware of. I don't, I don't remember seeing any of them there. Nope. And that's the last we see of them is the Broken Shore. We don't know if Odin goes to Alduar. Um, if he went to Alduar, did they immediately gang up on him and kill him? It doesn't seem likely, because again, if you're in the Warrior Hall, uh, both Thorim and Hodir become your followers. They, so those two are completely down with Odin, have no problem with him, and don't seek to fight him. Like, they, they work for you on his say-so. They come out of Alduar and join your group. Um, 
so they're they're right there. If you're a warrior playing in the halls of Val, if you go to your halls of valor from Legion, you can see them. If you got them as followers, uh, they're there. Um, so I don't think it's likely that they ganged up on him and killed him afterwards off screen, which it feels like what you're saying. Um, Odin wasn't dead at any point. When we freed him from the Halls of Valor, he wasn't dead. He has not died. No, he was just trapped. At any point. He was trapped there. Yeah, Helia cursed him, but he wasn't dead. If he died, would he go to his eye? That's that's a good question. We know that the eye is related to the jailer. That it's either, I think it's a servant of the jailer, not the jailer himself, made the deal. But that's definitely part of what's going on, that whole deal with Odin's eye. It's absolutely true that Odin has been pil- has been pilfering souls out of the Shadowlands, uh, mostly mostly the you know, mostly uh, Vrykul, who he considers particularly honorable. Um, obviously, he's willing to to grab other souls as well, but less less frequently. You're the first when you play a warrior again. You're the first living Valajar. You know, you're the first Valajar to be recruited while you're still alive. So. I don't know what Odin's future role is going to be. I don't know if we're going to see him in Shadowlands at all. I don't know what he did after he left Helia's realm. Because he went into Helia's realm at the end. When you kill Helia, he shows up down there. We know that supposedly Helia is still around. Because in Battle for Azeroth, you're told that when you find a, an artifact and you bring it back after doing one of the island expeditions... You guys like, oh yeah, you thought Helia was dead? She's death herself. You can't just die. Yep. So, it's possible Helia's still out there. It's possible we'll see Helia again in Shadowlands. I mean, she doesn't seem to be in any of the initial stuff, but we just got Maldraxxus. And we're just now finding out about that, so we haven't even seen Ardenweald yet. And there's still room for other zones. If you look at the, the Shadowlands map, there's room for other stuff in there. Uh, it doesn't mean that we'll see it, but we might. We really have no idea. Um, we didn't know about Argus until we got to the end of Legion. Mm-hmm. Uh, we didn't. We didn't know about both um, Vashir and not Vashir. What is it called? Uh, there's two zones in, in Battle for Azeroth that they introduced in like the middle of the expansion. Uh, one is obviously Mech- the Mechagon Island, and the other I can't remember what it's called right now. Why can I? I can't think of it either. Now I'm blanking. Yeah. But you know the one I'm talking about, the Queen Azara zone. The, what? It, it, I'm just—it's the zone of Queen Azara. Like, yeah. I, so that we, basically, my point is that they could add stuff. But as of right now, Odin isn't dead, so I don't expect to see him as a champion of Maldraxxus because they'd have to—they'd have to establish that he was dead first. Yeah. I, I think that's pretty much hitting. And oh, Najatar—that's what we're thinking of. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, I don't think we've seen everything that, the, obviously, the, the zones from either a mechanical standpoint or a lore standpoint that are going to be important going into Shadowlands. But I think that Odin will probably have something to do there. Either he's going to be want his eye back or he's angry at the deal that was made or he is going to go after Helia because she's not dead and she's tied to the Shadowlands in a lot of different ways. And he's got a grudge. He, he We know he's got a grudge. He sent us there to kill her, to free him, but she's not dead. If we can't kill her, I'm sure he believes that he can. Uh, but he's definitely not dead. What he's doing in Alduar, we have no idea. Uh, we don't even know if he actually went there. But as Matt pointed out, we don't see them 
for the the end sequence of Legion. You would think that he'd be there. You would think that he'd want to participate in, you know, sealing things off and, and cleaning up the world. But no, Odin's gone. He's got something else that he's doing. And the the Valajar are also not present. They're not there on Argus. They're not there on the ship. They're not with us on the ground. Instead, it's the Lightforged and the, 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 the Lightbound army that's there. Like, that's who's fighting with us alongside of us to clear the Legion, to clear Argus and, and to get everything back. He's gone. He's doing whatever. And if we assume that he went to Alduar for whatever reason, we don't know what he's doing there. And we don't know how that plays into what essentially happens uh, with that whole sequence at the end with Alduar not being participating in Battle for Azeroth, where, where everything that happens there, like we just talked about before, is that why it was still continued to be cut off? Is there a civil war going on in Alduar? We don't know. But I do think that we will see something from Odin as because we're going to see something from Helia in Shadowlands. And I think that it's not going to be because he's dead. It's going to be because he's trying to exact some form of revenge or something along those lines. That's just my opinions on that. All right. Our next question comes from Metal Zani. Uh, good day, watchers. Question for Lorewatch. So there I was chilling on my Dino Druid, uh, Barry Onyx, I love it, uh, in the Vale as one does, and I thought, why do the Hordes still have the Pandaren? We brought war to them, blew up their homes, uh, got a lot of them killed, and now I'm playing a race that recently invaded and tried to help the guy who enslaved them. What lore reason do those lovable meatballs have to stick with the horde? The Dark Lady is gone, so if they were worried that she was going to plague bomb them, that doesn't seem to be an issue. Thanks for what you do. Uh, loyalty? Like a different Pandaren right now. Yeah. Keep in mind, too, that Pandaria was as new to the Pandaren who joined the Horde and the Alliance as it was to everybody else. They hadn't been there in countless generations. Yeah, it was they the Wanderers They were living on the back of a joined. turtle. It was the Wanderers that joined the factions. The Wandering Island, the big turtle they were living on the back of, Shenzhen Su, was not, had not been back to Pandaria in thousands of years. It was hidden from them by the mists, same as everywhere else. They were living in their own little bubble. They were, they were a small group. Now, it doesn't mean they like the Mogu. Um, they're certainly aware that they're from Pandaria and that they have a shared cultural history, but they weren't the same people. Uh, Pandaria is very different from the, the Wandering Isle. They were different from those people. Uh, as a result, I mean, ironically enough, if you go, you're playing a Pandaren and you go to Pandaria, it's as new to you as it is to anybody else. You're like, what is this place? You know, I, oh, I kind of heard of that. There's a place even when you go to the, I, I want to say, uh, I can't remember. It's south of the, there's the Vale of Eternal Blossoms and south of that, there's the uh, countryside area. And then south of that, there's like the swampy, the watery area that comes in. Oh, bloody heck. The, where we even have our beach landing. When, when the uh, Horden Alliance have their big push in Pandaria, they, they land on the beaches there. And I cannot remember the name of the zone. But there's a marker celebrating when Shenzhen Zhu first left Pandaria. At the time, it was a very small turtle that left with a wandering sage. And then it kept growing and growing and growing, and eventually it stopped coming back because it was so big that people could live on its back. I mean, that's 
It's been a long time. So I'm not saying that they like the Mogu, but I'm also not saying... I don't think that the Pandaren who've joined the Horde... <clears throat> they're a small group. They're a small group even within the Horde. They're, there's not a ton of them. And they're not even representing... They're not even representing the, the Wandering Isle. They're just their own group. They, they, this group of, of Pandaren left the island and joined the Horde. They're still in the Horde because they made a personal decision to join it. Yeah, and if they didn't, they didn't lead their people in. They led themselves. That group of Pandaren, exactly the, the same group of Pandaren that led joined the Horde, essentially joined the Alliance. It's that same age group. It's it's a small group on each side. And, and it's less. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was gonna say in G Firepaw. I think addresses this at a couple points in time as you're moving through the storyline if you go in and actually interact with him uh, at the end of Legion, at the end of Battle for Azeroth, like if you go and talk with him it, it's sort of like he regrets the atrocities that they were a part of but it's sort of the honorable thing for him to do to stay and fix those things that he can fix, right? Because that's the other thing you have to consider is that these Pandaren who joined the Horde and the Alliance They've been forced to fight, and I shouldn't say forced, they've participated in fighting and killing in a whole bunch of sequences that are terrible from one end of the other. This is not exactly who they were, but they made oaths. And the Pandarian people are exceptionally honoring of those oaths. It, it, that's sort of like one of their thematic things. They stick together they do their things as much as they can to to honor whatever deals they've made because that's what they should do because not doing so dishonors their ancestors or dishonors their people well now g firepaw and, and the folks that have joined the horde from the pandaren side they have in their eyes at least what's been hinted at very very strongly an obligation to fix some of these things think about it if you're one of those pandaren and everything that happened with the burning of Teldrassil, you were there. You were part of that Horde army. You're part of the Horde that participated in that. How do you feel about that? What do you do? Like, yeah, you can walk away, but your your, your paws are bloody. They're not, they're not clean of this. So do you try to fix things? Do you try to repair, you know, what's broken because that's the right thing to do? Or do you leave? And they're the type of people that would stay and fix what's broken. That's been their thing all along. So I think that's why you see them remaining as part of the Horde, is they've got work to do. They've got things to fix and repair. Whether that's as healers or warriors or whatever the case is, they've got to fix some things. So at least that's my opinion on it. Anything else on that one, Matt? No, I think I'm good. Okay. Uh, our next one comes from Warender, uh, an elemental shaman on Zul'jin. Uh, shoutouts to the Zul'jin server. Hi, guys. First off, let me say how much I love the podcast. I just got in a podcast with being stuck inside all day because of COVID-19, and I have binged yours quite a bit. I do have one more question, and I apologize if it has been answered previously. So, the reason that Garrosh was sent back to Draenor was to form an army to help fight the inevitable Burning Legion invasion. But in sending Garrosh back, that snowballed events into Gul'dan making his way to Azeroth. And then this led to the Burning Legion returning. So, in essence, sending Garrosh back in order to stop the Legion is what caused the Legion to arrive in the first place. 
So my question is, how was the Legion going to arrive originally if Garrosh did not go against the plan? Or did Rathion, the Bronze Dragons, uh, know of these events and accounted for them, as they foresaw the outcome of the Legion being defeated for the most part? Perhaps the return of the Legion was a fixed point in time that could not be changed despite efforts of the heroes such as uh, such as events surrounding uh, Savitar in Flash Season 3. Dude, sometimes, as much as I love speculating on stuff, you overthink it and you, you miss something. The Legion did not need Garrosh's help to come to, to Azeroth twice before. They didn't need Garrosh's help to go to Draenor. The first time the they Legion, invaded, they didn't need, need uh, Gul'dan. No, they, they absolutely didn't. The, the, the Legion has... You've seen that they have dimension-traveling ships, lots of them. They've got a portal network that spans whole worlds. The only reason they hadn't come back before Legion wasn't because Gul'dan. They hadn't come back... I mean, Gul'dan goes in and helps activate the portal under the... the the temple of Alun, the the tomb of Sargeras. That's absolutely true. He does do that. Without him, they would not have had that portal, and thus they wouldn't have had to make a. Ma- they would have had to take a lot longer to get here. But they were going to come back. Everybody knew they were going to come back. They weren't beaten. They'd simply been stopped in their initial objective. They were absolutely going to return. Everyone knew it. The question wasn't just when. So. That's thing one. Thing two, Garrosh, the reason that both Garrosh, the reason that Garrosh was sent to alternate Draenor was involved in the whole concept of the Legion needing to be stopped, because both Rathion and Kairos believed in that. They both kind of had that feeling. That's not why he went back. He didn't care at all about that. He was not, as soon as he could, he killed Kairos. He cut the dude's throat with the artifact he'd used to send him back in the first place. As soon as he could, he did not care especially about preventing the Legion from invading Azeroth again. That wasn't his goal. His goal was to prevent the Legion from corrupting his father and changing history so that his father could lead a a horde forged in the image that Garrosh had of it. A, A horde that was basically like the horde of old but without fell corruption. And keep in mind that there are reasons why the, the, the orcs of Draenor didn't want to have a horde. That after the, the whole battle with the, the, the ogres that led to the creation of the Red Pox and the destruction of Hymal, the orcs disbanded the horde and didn't bring it back until Nirzul was convinced to recreate it. The concept of a horde is not new to the orcs. It wasn't invented by Ner'zhul or Gul'dan. It was used by them, but not created by them. And the reason for that is because the orcs, when they unite into a war group, tend to go all the way. And it can be pretty destructive. And the last time they did it, they created elemental destruction so terrifying that they themselves were like, oh wow, um, oh. Oh wow, that was bad. The elementals did did a bad thing because we told them to and yeah we should we should not do that let's let's not be a unified horde anymore they were actually terrified of their own prowess they were they were like we could end up wiping the planet out which 
if you look at what the horde actually did, the the original hold, horde um, did under under Nirzul and Gul'dan, they they did destroy their planet. So they they had reason to be afraid of themselves. That's Garrosh didn't go there looking to save Azeroth from anything. And the people that did like Rathion, that was clearly something he was thinking it might be necessary to do. That's why he helped them. But it didn't work out that way for a lot of reasons, not just because. You can't really just say Garrosh made it happen, then if we hadn't sent Garrosh, it wouldn't have happened. Had Garrosh not gone back in time to old Draenor and, and to that different timeway Draenor, the Legion absolutely still would have shown up. Yeah. We don't know how they would have shown up. We don't know in what fashion. They were working to do so. If you, The entirety of original World of Warcraft, um, going through and including Burning, the Burning Crusade, there's plenty of times when, like, there's, like, cults trying to drag the Legion back to Azeroth. Yeah, because we point, know they just need a powerful practitioner. Like, they just need somebody who knows how to do the arts well, the arts of arcane magic well enough to essentially open a portal for them. That's That's been their M.O. since the very, very beginning. Many, many warlock patrons, patronages over the years in Azeroth were people trying to build up a strong enough cult to open some portals and let some demons through. And the more demons they can let through, the the closer you get to an actual Legion invasion. Um, we saw that back in the day with Kazak out out in the Burning Steps. Was he at the Burning Steps? I can't remember exactly what zone he was in. The very first zone. The very uh, first zone. Yeah. No, Kazak or, was in the first zone. Not Kazak. I'm thinking of uh, Doomlord. Sorry. Uh, I'm talking about Kazak. Yeah. Um, when Kazak was around, like he, he used to be, um, he wasn't very far from the Dark Portal, and his whole he was just wandering around with demons around him trying to get over to that portal and and open it and when he finally did he went through it and left Uh, a lot of demons were left there's that whole place in Ashendale that was absolutely infested with demons that's where uh, Grom killed um, I want to say Magtheridon but not Magtheridon Manoroth it's where Grom killed Manoroth the the first Grom killed Manoroth there that whole area Demons Fall Canyon is completely infested with demons there's like cults trying working within the alliance and the horde. There was one thrall used to send you to investigate a whole bunch of burning legion cultists that were like in they were in the underbelly of of Orgrimmar even. There were lots of people trying to work to bring the legion back. Sooner or later they were going to come back. That's the entire reason Rathion and and Kairos and all of them were so concerned. They were working to stop something they knew was going to happen sooner or later. They weren't working to prevent a fixed point in time or say, this is a fixed point in time, we can't deal with it. They're literally saying, if they're, sooner or later, one of these groups is going to bring the Legion back. We need to be ready. And they, they wanted an army that they could use to fight them when they showed up. And it, it makes sense on paper. The, when, the, when the Legion wanted to invade Azeroth, they went to Draenor and got the Horde, the horde together. They got the orcs together to use as an invading army. It makes sense to use that same army against them. I mean, if you think about it, it's actually kind of elegant. The idea of going back to to another Draenor and getting together that exact same army, but this time to use against the Legion? It's kind of poetic. You know, it's it's the same invading force, but this time they're on they're opposing the Legion instead of serving them. It could work, and especially since they wanted to do it multiple times. Kairos's plan wasn't to stop on that world. He wanted to go to other other timelines and get other hordes together. 
mm-hmm. and create like a cross time horde with like multiple versions of all those warlords. I mean, it's ridiculous, but at the same time, it's it's like you know, ooh, wow, it's like Crisis and Infinite Earth with like five Supermen all fighting together. It's like all these different Groms. Yeah, like you have an army of like fifteen Black Hands going through, and like, what what does that mean? <laughs> a bunch of different Doom Hammers. I mean, it's just. There, there was that was the goal, and it, he didn't. It didn't happen because Grom, because Garrosh cut his throat and killed him. Um, have, had Garrosh gone along with the plan, there could have been an army of like multiple like hordes, a cross like literally cross timeway horde that would have been strong enough to fight the Legion. But he didn't go along with it, and he cut his throat, and the Legion invaded Azeroth. They were going to do it sooner or later anyway. Yeah, and and so the idea of it being the fixed point in time, because I, I agree with everything that Matt said, um, the Legion is nothing if not opportunistic, right? So here we are in a in a alternate world in a timeline in which Gul'dan is now alive. We kn- they know that Gul'dan has been able to help them in the past, uh, or at least of the main timeline, get to the things they need to get to. So why wouldn't Sargeras say, "Go get him for me"? He knows what I can give him gen- basic genetic memory of what he needs to do, and that'll get us where we need to go faster than than what we're doing right now. And like Matt said, those ships were already on the way. Several times during Legion, we go, we get teleported to the ships where we can see an entire armada flying through the Twisting Nether. They're heading to us. They're just not portaling in. It was everything that happened up to that point, that was an opportunistic thing that they tried to take advantage of in Warlords of Draenor to speed everything up, to make them get there faster. It wasn't that it was a fixed point in time. It's just, hey, we, like like Matt said, the people that are defending against the Legion, they know that they're still out there because, well, they're still out there. They're going to get here at some point. Let's see what we can do to try to, you know, stop that from happening or to fight it when it gets here. And then Legion goes, oh, hey, look, another Gul'dan. Sweet. Pluck. And then they throw them out. Like, go, go to the tomb. Go activate the portal. This will be quicker. Like, please, go, go, go do this. But they didn't stop their ships they were still in route because if Gul'dan failed again like he has in the past or we stopped whatever their plan was to open a portal again like we've done in the past then they were still on their way it would just take maybe a generation or whatever we don't know how long it would take them to get there that's the whole point like they were just going to show up at some point it was all about trying to fight them when they get there it wasn't that we caused it to happen. The Legion just took took that opportunity to try to make the best out of a terrible situation for themselves. Uh, anything else to add on that one, my friend? I think we're, we're doing good there. All right. I think that's going to give us uh, all of our time for today. So Blizzard Watch is made possible due to the generous contributions at patreon.com slash blizzardwatch. Your continued support means this podcast site and community is able to thrive and grow. Blizzard Watch supporters enjoy exclusive benefits like early access to the podcast, a better chance at having your question answered on the podcast or the queue, and an ads-free site experience. And as always, if you have questions for the queue... Uh, or questions for the podcast, be sure to send them in. Uh, for the podcast, is podcast at blizzardwatch.com. Or again, hit us up on our Discord in one of the many uh, chat channels dedicated to those questions. And with that, we'll see you next week.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.